I don't know how I could butcher this, but I have it correct, right? Mr. John Rennie? Yes. Okay, good. I didn't butcher it. Author of I Have the Watch, uh, Becoming a Leader Worth Following, which is on Audible. It's it's actually incredibly short. It's two hours. I thought it would be I thought it'd be much longer. But it's I'm already butchering this. Please introduce yourself, man. <laughs> hey, I'm John Rennie. Good to see you, Tommy. Thank you very much for coming on here. Can you uh can you describe your background to people? In the US yeah, I have a little yeah in the US. Yeah, Navy. I have a little unusual background. Um, I studied mechanical engineering at uh, undergraduate school, and I re- went right into the Navy as a naval submarine officer. I qualified as a nuclear uh, officer on submarines. I was on the USS Tennessee for five years towards the end of the Cold War. You know, as you know, the Cold War was kind of a standoff between the Soviets and the, the Americans, and I was in that involved with that towards the end of that period. And then I left the Navy and I spent 22 years in corporate America and I ran eight different manufacturing plants during that time. And uh, and then about five and a half years ago, I left corporate America and I started my own manufacturing business called Peak Demand. And that's what I do full time. And, uh, and on the side, I write and speak on leadership issues. I have a podcast as well where I interview, you know, leaders, entrepreneurs, that sort of thing. So yeah, I've been doing leadership for more than 30 years, started in the military, in the Navy, you know, transition into corporate life, and then now as an entrepreneur. So I've kind of done all elements of leadership during that 30 years. How old are you? (laughs) 54. I'm 30. You look like you're five years older than me. Hats off, man. Hats off. (laughs) Fed on on Dr. Ken Alebeck, the former head of the Soviet bioweapons program, which I always have to clarify this. It's not what he wanted to do. He was enlisted to do that, and then he defected to the United States. He looks like he's five years older than me, too. (laughs) He's like twice my age. Can you? Because this is, I've just, I don't know what you can talk about. Everyone that watches this knows I love the Cold War. We'll get into the leadership aspects. But I do have to just ask, what is it like being on a nuclear submarine? Like, I just have to fanboy for a couple minutes. Like, what is it actually (laughs) like being on a nuclear submarine? Well, you know, it's it sounds kind of sexy, but you know, it's like going to work one day and then, you know, then they lock the doors and of course inside those those four walls there's a nuclear reactor and 24 nuclear missiles and you basically spend the next 3 months together with those same 155 guys. In this case, there was no women on the boats back then. There are women now, but it was 155 guys gone for 3 months at a time and I did that 7 times during uh during my career. So I spent more than, well, almost 2 years of my life under the ocean during uh during the Cold War. So, yeah. Does does the and I mean we will get into the book, but I do have to just ask some like <laughs> lowbrow like just excited questions first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had on Charlie Duke who walked on the moon on Apollo yeah. 16. I've had him on 3 times. I don't think it was till halfway through the second time that I actually started asking like genuine questions. The first time I was just like, so what's it like walking on the moon? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's funny. Cause like, he's still like, not completely like, hasn't grasped it. He's like, it's insane. You're walking on the moon. And it's you're... right. 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 I mean, at, at any point, is there for a couple of years out of nowhere, like right after college, I was just had never happened before. And it's since gone away. I was just terrified of flying. And hmm. I would, you know, I would just be up at whatever, you know, 25,000 feet. And I would, I mean, I'm not even a heavy drinker, but whenever I'd fly, I, I would just have to get shit faced because it's the only, <laughs> because I would be sitting there and I'd just start overthinking and I'd be like, man, I'm like looking down at mountains right now. I'd be like, I'm just up here in this little capsule and I'd go back to the bathroom and I'd be like, underneath my feet is nothing. 
is just yeah. and it would just kind of seep in and i i would have to kind of start like meditating more on the plane or not just on focusing on not being there is there any part and i've never been high up in a sky i love skyscrapers but i've never been high up in one because i ironically am terrified of heights <laughs> is there any point where it's just i mean the, and there's like multiple angles from this is there any point where it's just like who oh boy i'm in a tube under the ocean <laughs> You know, it's funny because they kept us so busy. I mean, we yeah. trained uh, continuously, right? And uh, so we're constantly running drills and, you know, preparing for flooding fires and, you know, reactor accidents and what have you. We, we, we kept very busy. But in those quiet times, you would sit back and think, you know, like my first patrol, I was a very junior uh, officer and I wasn't even in the officer birthing. I was actually an enlisted birthing for my first patrol. And in that, uh, my bunk was my feet were touching one uh, missile tube and my head was touching the other missile tube. So I thought to myself, well, this is strange. I'm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I'm, you know, 200 feet below the surface and I have a nuclear weapon on my, you know, my feet and my head. Kind of a weird place to be, you know, when, if you really think about it. But the best thing to do is not think about it. So Yeah, but that's kind of like the Buddhist conundrum, right? Well, how do you not, how do you not think about not thinking things? Or it's, right. isn't right. that, isn't there like a Buddhist quote where it's like, it's like master, like, you know, life is so painful. It's, but it says like, you know, pain is the fire. Like, where do I go? He says, go and sit in the center of the fire. Why would I do that? Because once you've mastered that, nothing else was painful. I yeah, mean, yeah. I guess if you're in a claustrophobic area with the same people under in a tube under the water with multiple independent reentry vehicles at your feet, multiple independent <laughs> reentry vehicles at your head, and the whole thing is powered by a nuclear reactor. So in case that doesn't yeah. get you, you can have a little Chernobyl fun. And it's, you know, you're being hunted by the Soviets. Right. I mean, and you're you're with a bunch of 18 and 20 year olds, too. And yeah. you seem pretty calm, cool, and collected right now. And I can only imagine that that's <laughs> right. It's got to have some sort of like, okay. Now, does that. So your book is a lot like, and actually you mentioned him, which I like. Um, I'm a big fan of, have listened to it for years. Uh, uh, Jocko Willink, who for everyone yeah. that's uh, listened, he's a, a Navy SEAL team commander. Uh, he's been on Rogan a couple of times. He has a podcast. He uh, does some historical stuff. That's how I originally found him. He did an episode on Unit 731 about the Japanese bioweapons program. But a lot of what I really like is he distills uh, things you can learn from what he's done. And that yeah. may sound like the most vanilla softball, like, yeah, no shit. Like, who doesn't do that? Like, we all do mm -hmm. that, right? But, I mean, for instance, like, right now, I'm I'm dog-sitting and I'm not at my apartment. So, well, now I'm at my apartment. But as opposed to waking up, going to the gym, coming back, I do a meditation and do a podcast. For the last, like, 10 days, I've been driving over there, you know, watching the dogs. Got to let them out. And they're puppies and they're going around insane. And then I got to come back here and I'm not hitting the gym beforehand. And I'm a little, you know, I'm kind of... I'm a little OCD. I haven't been like cleaning my apartment and it's not how I like it, but I always think of piece of advice I got from, uh, I've had on this podcast 50 plus times, Del Comstock, the, the youngest ever member of Delta Force. It's in the CIA Special Activities Division, which I mean, that's, that's Cold War to a T. But he talks about when you're downrange and like the, like the Helivac isn't coming and you're running low on ammo. He was like, you don't think about oh, God, we're 50 miles from the nearest, you know, U.S. base in denied territory that we're not even supposed to be CIA. He's like, Dale who? They they don't, you, no one's coming to mm. rescue you. You don't start thinking about, oh, man, are my kids gonna not going to have parents? What he always says is 10-meter uh, targets. 
What's 10 meters in front of you? Is there a guy? Shoot him in the face. Is there not a guy? Go get behind the rock. What do you do then? What's 10 meters in front of you? There's a tree? Let's go get behind that tree. What's 10 meters in front of you? If there's a guy, shoot him in the face. 10 meters. And if you do that, then, next thing you know, you're back at base. And you've traveled 100 miles and not got killed. And I say all of that to say, I've used that little piece of advice just in the last 10 days. Now, granted, it's not the same being in Delta Force and being in the Middle East versus <laughs> watching puppies. But, you know... We all fight our own battles, right? It's uh, not quite the same, but it's 10-meter targets. I'm like, hey, wake up today. What do I got to do? Let the dogs out. Okay, let them back in. What do I got to do? I got to go take a shower and put on a polo. What do I got to do? I got to meditate. What am I going to do? Sit down, start the interview with Mr. Rennie. And kind of flustered at the beginning, but now I'm sort of catching my, my step, getting my flow as we do the podcast. And I do this a lot, too, where I talk a lot and don't let the guests talk. But I lay all of that out to say there is an incredible thing where people such as yourself that have been in insane situations. I can't relate to Dale being in denied territory with the CIA. I can't relate to walking on the moon. I can't relate to sitting in a tube with nukes at my head and my feet. But what you can do and what you do do in this book is you distill that down into just some basic things. Like, I don't know, when you get a new employee... Give them a little basket that says, hey, looking forward to working with you. When someone's yeah. sick, you, you, you send them something and say, hey, get well. You know, weddings are optional. Funerals are mandatory. Just these little tiny things that bleeds all the way down into now, you know, I don't know if that's a downgrade going from a nuclear sub to now you're on my podcast. But <laughs> So I'm rambling now, but could you kind of describe that more, what led to you writing this book? Well, you know, it's funny because I didn't think I just that I had a unique uh, background, right? You know, I mean, most guys like myself, they spend some time in the military, then they go, you know, they get job offers, right? And you you go off to work in the corporate world. So I spent my life working in the corporate world thinking I was just like everybody else, but I noticed I wasn't, right? I The leadership lessons I learned on that submarine always stuck with me. Now, think about it. When you got deployed like that, you were with these 155 guys and you stood these long watches together. So we, you know, enlisted and officers, we were in these small spaces and we stood watch for six hours at a time, every day for six hours at a time, right? So we knew everything about each other. So they knew about me, I knew about them. I mean, I knew girlfriends, I knew, you know, uh, you know, food allergies, uh, favorite dishes. I mean, things they missed from home, what they did on Christmas day. I mean, I knew everything about the, my, my, my people, right? Because we were, we were that close. We were, there was, wasn't much to do, right? We were together in this metal tube for three months at a time. Right. So we got to know each other. So, so, you know, um, and so when I got into the, the, you know, I got into the corporate world, that's what I just did. I got to know my people. I got to understand them. I understood what they, you know, where their strengths were, where their weaknesses, where their passions were. And I basically, that's how I led. I led by actually knowing people and having a relationship with them like you would a family, right? You have a relationship. You know, I have two sons and both of them are a little bit different. And, and to be able to be a good father to them, I have to know what makes them tick. It's the same thing with being a good leader in, in, in running your organization. So I always did that. And my businesses always were the top performing businesses in my divisions. And I always, you know, got accolades and, and what have you. And I didn't realize that all this knowledge I had, all this the leadership experience was based on these basic principles of treating people with respect and recognizing that 
every person is important to the mission, right? And that's the way it was on the boat. If you think about it, if your most junior sailor turns the wrong valve, you're all gone, right? So there's this shared responsibility, but it's also a shared vulnerability, mm. which is just the opposite in corporate. If you think about it, if the business goes bad, typically the CEO gets a bunch of money, right? And then everyone else gets fired, right? So there's not yeah. a shared vulnerability, right? And so there was on the boat. And so I always try to bring that uh, mindset into any business I'm running. You know, for example, I come into a place and I might take over a plant and I see there's a bunch of you know, signed parking spots for all the managers. And the first thing I always do is just paint those over. Like we're not having special treatment for bosses. You guys are in it together. We're all, we all have a job to do. We just have different functions and, you know, in that or different, different jobs to do in that, you know, to carry out the mission. So I think bringing that mindset to corporate turns out is a little bit unusual. And as I start talking about it, writing about it, people are like, this is different. And, uh, and I was shocked because this is, this is just basic common sense, right? Treating people with respect, including everybody, you know, making sure that everybody in the team understands what the mission is and motivating them properly to achieve the mission. These seem like basic principles, but they, they're not practiced well in corporate. And if you think about it, in a lot of corporations, your top performer, individual contributor, typically gets promoted to manager and they have zero leadership experience. So they're like, okay, Johnny, you're uh, done a really good job as an engineer. We're gonna make you engineering manager. And so what does that guy do? Well, his comfort zone is doing engineering work. He's very good at it. So he gets the new office, he shuts the door and he starts working on engineering drawings. He never makes that transition into leadership and actually dealing with people. You know, I would argue that leadership Performing the active leadership is a whole different skill set. It's not accounting, it's not engineering, it's not marketing, it's not sales, it's people. It's all about people. And that's what that this book, um, this first book, I Have the Watch, is sort of kind of, you know, the, the principle is that when you have the watch, you're responsible for the mission, but you're also responsible for the people in that organization. And when we had the watch on the boat, that's what we had. We had responsibility for uh, the boat and the people in that boat. And I think that's just bringing that mindset to, to leadership. You know, there's been 15,000 books written on leadership. So, you know, what's my little contribution to it? Well, I think I bring it, bring it from the standpoint of that experience in the, in the nuclear Navy on submarines and how that really trans, uh, translated well to my life in corporate. And then as a CEO now of a startup company is that I just brought all those principles with me. I don't, I, yeah, I don't think it takes away that there's 15,000. I mean, one thing I talk about <laughs> a lot on this podcast is, um, how, <clears throat> you know, like Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, right? There's like 17 mm -hmm. steps and it's call to adventure, all, you know, all the belly of the whale to blah, 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 whatever, temptation. But he, it's it's basically a formula. Of, it it kind of ruins it, but there's, there's basically a formula for every fiction book ever written. 100%. You go back, yeah. not even fiction. You can just go back to just general stories of people. Jesus Christ walking the earth, the life of Buddha, Harry Potter, Star Wars, All Quiet on mm -hmm. the Western Front. I mean, 100%. You yeah. look at through yeah. them all, you go, oh, hey, call to adventure. And it, it, it kind of, but it's fascinating because you go, oh, there is this, at first it kind of takes away. You go, oh, man, it's all the same. But then I think it kind of comes back and you go, oh, how fascinating is that? That there's this, underlying theme and it's you know i pick my phone up and i drop it i pick my glasses i'm not going to drop those i pick up this lens and i drop it i pick up this water bottle and i drop it you know, everything just falls then it goes well hold on there's something there's something that's making everything fall 
and it's gravity. And then that all of a sudden, it unlocks this whole new world of, oh, there's these laws that things obey. So, you know, leadership books, whether it's Dale talking about 10-meter targets or Jocko talking about, like, blue-on-blue accidents or Mm -hmm. you talking about sleeping between nuclear weapons under the water, (laughs) it's fascinating when you start to go, oh, these these laws, they're not just, you know, it goes around, comes around. You go, oh, wait, this... These things actually apply to the highest levels of lethal engagement or life or death situations. I mean, yeah. enough nuclear weapons to wipe out a country just at will, you know, to walking on the moon to or myself, you know, watching puppies. It's, you know, it's the same sort <laughs> of. But there's a fascination in there that it you start to look at it as like a natural law. And it's not something where it's just anecdotal where you go, ah, well, that worked for him. And you can start to almost lean on it. You know, I don't I don't take gravity as an opinion. I don't go, oh, my phone fell and that fell, mm. but I'm going to jump off my roof. You, you lean on it. You go, let's maybe not jump off the roof. It's There seems to be a little bedrock in, in a universe where the only constant is that there are no constants. Any sort of bedrock or scaffolding that you can kind of just, you know, lean on, catch your breath, is 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 comforting and um to kind of go back though uh it's interesting what you say it doesn't always equate that jump right you're a good engineer and then yeah you're the best engineer so now you're the head of the and it's like but all this guy wants to do is be an engineer like tom brady might be a horrible football coach (laughs) you know he throws spirals he throws spirals and he does it in the clutch all right put him in the box their team's gonna go oh and sixteen because he's like, give me the ball, put me in. It's like, well, dude, you're eighty. You can't you can't play anymore. Like it's, but it, it's fascinating that you. I mean, I can only imagine if you were a good enough captain of like a destroyer, they might say, hey, you're getting a, you're, you know, you're getting promoted. You're in charge of a nuclear submarine now. And it's like, well, I've been driving boats on water for my whole life, and now you're putting me in a tube under. Like it might yeah. not equate. Right. Right. Yeah. I think. Well, I think we we dismiss the skill sets needed for leadership, right? So think about MBA programs. I have an MBA, right? I'm not bragging. I just have one, right? Yeah. A lot of guys in my shoes do. But we never studied anything about leadership in my MBA program. So we studied accounting, marketing, sales, engineering, ethics, law, you know, legal stuff. Never once did we study leadership, which is the number one thing you have to have to be an effective business leader. So, you know, I do, I speak at universities a lot. I speak to uh, graduate programs. Usually I, um, I come in, do a two hour lecture on, you know, real world leadership stories, basically. And one of the questions I ask is how many leadership, you know, how much leadership training have you had in your two, two and a half years? And most of them will say, you're it. Or we had another guy like you come one time and speak. And I think that's, that's troublesome, in my opinion, because we think of, uh, you know, running a business as hard skills, right? We need to know accounting. We need to know sales. We need to know margins. We need to know, you know, forecasting and what have you. But no one says we need to know people, right? They say, well, those are soft skills, right? Those are the, and it's almost like demeaning, like those are soft skills. Those are not important. What you need to know is, how to do a click, good uh, click funnel, you know, that's, that's what's really important. How do you, how do you engage customers? How, all those things are important, but you know, here, I'll give you this story. Have you ever seen the commissioning of a, of a warship, U.S. warship? 
it's a pretty amazing ceremony. I'm a dump it into the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a total geek with all these uh, Navy traditions. I love them. I mean, I was fascinated with them in the Navy. I still am today. So I was watching the Gerald Ford, which is our newest yeah. uh, aircraft carrier, going through its commissioning. And I just was watching because I'm curious, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of a Navy geek that way. And I was listening to um, uh, Gerald Ford's daughter was the uh, sponsor of the ship. And so she, when she gives an order, and it's very significant, she says, man the ship and bring her to life. And it's the first time I ever heard it, it actually sunk in a little bit. And, you know, that she says that, and as soon as she says that, there's bells ringing, the band starts playing, the, the crew runs up onto the aircraft carrier, and they man the rails, right? And they're in, they're in their dress white uniforms. But think about what she just said man the ship and bring her to life, right? Before that moment, the very moment before she says that, that is a cold hunk of steel sitting in the harbor, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't come to life until you bring people on it, until you bring the crew on. And it's the same thing for our businesses. doesn't matter how great your business plan is, right? Especially as a startup, right? doesn't matter how great your startup plan is. Who are you going to have to implement that plan? I mean, you know, as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of it on your shoulder, right? But what is your team? Who are you going to bring on to be able to implement, implement that plan? Our plans are nothing without the people that bring them to life. I think that that, that analogy of, of a crew bringing a trip to life is the same thing with our businesses. Our people bring our businesses to life. The crew on the Tennessee, when I was, you know, deployed, brought that ship to life. Without the crew, without the training, without the... You know, uh, each of us having a really important job to do and to carry it out with with perfection, we wouldn't be able to carry out our mission and come safely home. We all knew that, and I think we 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 trivialize this in corporate America. We just think, well, you're a factory worker. You know, you're just a factory worker, or you're just a QA technician. Well, without that QA technician, you know, that that job's not going to get done. That product's not going to go out correctly. Right. So everybody has an important role in achieving the mission. And it seems like really basic stuff, but I really feel like not enough people are talking about these sort of things in corporate America. It's it's more we talk about the hard things, the hard skills. We don't talk about the people skills and what it takes to actually achieve those, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals. You got to set a big, hairy, audacious goal. That's great. I did that. Now, how do I get it done? Well, you get it done with people, motivating people to carry out plan it's kind of like the inverse of uh dr manhattan in the graphic novel watchman who's like it's like this guy that sort of becomes like a god and he uh pretty good one of his lines is there's no atomic difference between a living body and a dead body when someone's alive and then they flatline mm. i mean granted as it goes on you know they decay yeah yeah but in the moment between here he is beep you know time of death 225 there's no, there's nothing. There's no mm -hmm. difference. There's no difference. The blood's still going, the electrical, granted they're dead. But I mean, it is structurally the same thing. It's kind of the inverse, right? Man the ship and bring it to life. Because otherwise it's just this, it's just this thing that's not, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, it's, do you think with leadership, do you think that when you say there's no leadership training or, you know, who's the first leadership course you guys have had you're it do you think that can there always be leadership training because I remember Joe Rogan said this years ago and he was talking about Tony Robbins and I had no idea who Tony Robbins was 
It's like Tony Robbins great. He's like when you know if you're in a hole or something. And I've not, nothing against him. Tony Robbins worth like half a billion dollars. He's doing something right. <laughs> but Rogan was like, you know, he's he, he, he's fascinating. He's inspiring. But he goes, he's he's a motivational speaker about motivational speaking. Like there's right. no. He's successful at being successful. It's hard to, and now his son's a motivational speaker, and it's like, well. What? And it's, again, not hate. Dude's making his money. He's printing it. So that's fine. But, like, it almost seemed, It almost seems like you, you become a very good doctor and then you get chosen to be, like, a medical professor at a medical school and it's because well, you're the best. And it's like you know the information inside out and backwards. Sure. It makes sense, right? It, where it can be taught. But, like, I don't know what I'm trying to get at. It's With leadership, well, it's you can't. Sometimes it just has to, you can't just go and you teach leadership. And I went to college to learn leadership. And it's like some, maybe you can't teach it. Maybe you have to get someone from a, a sub or that walked on the moon or a Delta force guy <laughs> or someone that built a corporation yeah. in his garage. Like there isn't, what'd you major in? Well, I majored in leadership. Well, how'd you leave? Well, I, I took the courses and I, that's not leadership. Leadership's like Steve Jobs. Like I'm, you know, despite his downfalls, it's like, you know, turning in cans for, you know, change and then going to the soup shelter and sleeping on his friend's futons and sitting in on classes and learning about fonts and then using those fonts to make Apple stand apart. And then boom, now I'm on, I'm on an iMac 30 years later. It doesn't, it almost seems like it's something that has to rise up. Like hard times create strong men. It's like, you can't really teach strong men it almost sometimes shit has to hit the fan and then they arise does it make sense what i'm trying to get across 100 percent. so if you if you want to be a leader if you want to be a good leader you have to practice leadership it's just like you know um anything else right you want to learn to play um uh the guitar you have to you have to play the guitar you can study Mm -hmm. music and you can study theory and you can study notes and what have you but it does take practice you actually have to do it to be able to be good at it and that's why so I have a problem when I, you know, when there'll be leadership gurus or, you know, spouting their theories on leadership that have actually never led people, right? So so maybe that's my hang up, right? Because I have 30 years in the trenches, right? When I see someone writing theory about leadership, I'm always like, I look at their resume. Did you ever actually make payroll once in your life? I mean, do you ever had to, you know, tell somebody that, yeah, our sales have dropped 25% and I've got to let you go. I mean, uh, uh, or look at a friend that you hired that's just not getting the job done and you're like, I, I got to let you go. I got to fire you, yeah. you know? Um, so I think th- th- to be a great leader, you have to practice leadership. And um, and that's, you know, there, there's no way around it. So yes, leadership training is important. You can learn the basics, but it's like learning how to play a guitar. You got to actually get on the guitar you got to play notes and that's why i advocate a lot that leaders should be looking in the organization to find those you know the next generation of leaders and give them those challenging assignments and projects so they can get it get their feet wet and learn some of the basic skills so it's almost like it needs to be done in more of an apprenticeship type of program versus just you know you go to school you study it and then you apply it you actually have to practice it and practice it under somebody that's been doing it, yeah. you know, so that they can, you can ask questions and like, what do I do in this case and what have you. So I think there's part of it is you can't necessarily be learned just straight yeah. in school, but I think there needs to be some emphasis about like, you know, you're going to get this done through people. You're going to, you know, 
you have to create a business plan, but then you have to take people to implement that plan, right? And I think that's that's kind of something that seems to be missing. So yeah, it'd be like. And as someone with zero military experience, everything I talk about, full disclosure, is out of my ass. But I mean, it it'd be like it'd be like studying like Air Force theory, like bomber formation theory, in like the '40s, and then being like, I'm gonna head up Strategic Air Command. Versus when you have Curtis LeMay, who like yeah. you know he was like the chief of it, but he was also always in like, I mean like I mean like a he was always in the first bomber of the formation. I mean, you can only imagine he had a cigar as they're dropping incendiaries on Tokyo. But I mean, like, there was a little, like, pe- the, you know, his the people under him would always be like, I'll go to hell and back. Because, like, it, after 30 years, it maybe looks detached and it, it changes from bomber formations to now it's all about ICBMs and redundancies and continuity of government and how quickly can we get this and is, is it a decapitation strike? What are we doing? Where are our reserves? And as you know, you nuclear triad, where are the other things? Are we going to pop up? What's the deterrence? How quickly can we get it there? LeMay used to say uh, he had, he called it his Sunday punch. And there's like this, there's like this like layers of like nuclear strategy, the PSYOP. And it's, we can launch these today. We can launch a thousand today. If you give me 12 hours, we can launch 2,500. If you give me 48 hours, we can launch 7,000. And then LeMay always had his own. It was just called the Sunday punch. He'd be like, he would also call it killing a nation. He'd be like, give me the word, and, like, I can kill a nation tonight, which is just mm. insane, but that's another podcast for another time. <laughs> but, like, yeah. LeMay, you can, you can again, talking out of my ass, but I could almost see where, like, guys, you know, sitting with the B-52s at the end of the runway and we're on DEFCON 2 where the klaxon goes off and it's like, you're going to go up there, you're going to read your orders and, you know, go do the thing. I can kind of see where they might blindly trust LeMay because it's like, look, this sounds insane, but, like, he did take the lead plane formation 20 years ago when we were heading into Tokyo and it was just like, yeah. well, boys, we might not make it, but LeMay is at the front. Yeah. You kind of get, or like, right, a, a General Smedley Butler and it's like, you know, when he was asked to lead the Bonus Army in 1933, it's like, well, his guys knew him. Like, he was with right. us in World War One and in China and the Caribbean. So when Smedley Butler said something, they're like, hey, man, you know, whatever you say, let's roll. It's, but it's a little harder when it's just, well, I'm your leader. And it's like, what your, what's your experience? Well, uh, I graduated in honors and with leadership. And, uh, you know, I published <laughs> a paper on leadership. And it's like, what have you ever... Like, what have you done? But, like, yeah. what have you built? And it's it doesn't well, one, always equate. One thing that the Navy does really well, and I'm sure the other branches do as well, is that when you come on board, you're not qualified. Yeah. You have to get qualified, yeah. right? That's a big part of it. So they don't let, even as an officer, right? I was an O one, an ensign, right? The butter bar, they call you, right? You're a nobody. You're, you know, we used to say you're lower than whale shit, right? Yeah. When you got on board, right? So yeah. you're nothing, yeah. right? But you have to get qualified. And uh, they call you a nub, a non-useful body. So you're breathing the air, eating the food, and you have no, you have no responsibilities because you're not qualified yet. And there's a peer pressure on board to get qualified. To earn your dolphins, right? You, you've seen, have you seen the dolphins, right? You know, no. you've got, uh, so... So all the branches have some sort of uh, insignia, right? So, uh, like, if you're a pilot, you get your wings, right? Okay. So this is what this is what this is. This is the dol- the dolphins represent a qualified submarine officer or a qualified submarine sailor. It's the it's the pinnacle of 
um, you know, it's basically telling everybody in the world that you're qualified, that, that people can depend on you. And what's interesting is that even as an officer, I can't come on board and, you know, start barking orders. I have to earn my way. And it takes six months or so until you stand your first watch station and then probably another year before you you actually get those dolphins on your chest, which says that I'm a qualified submarine officer, I'm qualified in submarine operations. And the thing is, what I like about the Navy is that everybody above me had to do the exactly the same thing. So my commanding officer was an 06, he was a captain, right? He had been through what I'd been through, you know, years or, you know, 20 years earlier, and then some, right? Mm -hmm. So he had earned the right to get into that, to be the CEO of that boat. And there was, there was like a high level of respect for the senior officers because you knew that they had done everything that you had done to get to that point. Now, in you come to the civilian world, you come to, you know, businesses, you know, suddenly you get a new boss, right? Okay, hey, John, uh, this is, this is uh, Jimmy, he's your new boss. Okay, hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Where, where'd you work before? This is my first job. Look, oh, you ever led anyone before? No, I, I studied leadership, right? Whatever. I mean, this happens more than all, uh, more than it should, right? That there's that the people aren't qualified to get into leadership positions. They haven't come up through the ranks, or they haven't started with a little bit of responsibility, and they were given more gradually more responsibility as they as they became more experienced. That's one thing the Navy did really well is that we didn't get to more senior roles until we had done the junior roles first, and so we were qualified all the way up the up the line. Um, when I left the boat. After making seven patrols, I was I was a lieutenant in 03, and uh, I was a, it's kind of a funny terminology, I was a senior junior officer. So I trained all the young guys coming coming onto the boat. So all the new guys would come and they're like, you gotta go see Rennie. Rennie's gonna, you know, you gotta be junior officer of deck with Rennie as the officer of deck, and you're gonna learn from him. So I trained the new guys coming up. So I started off being a total nub when I, you know, and then five years later, I was training the, the nubs coming on board. So. It's really interesting. I think they, they had it right when it came to training development, um, you know, giving you progressively more responsibility over time as you earned it. And uh, that doesn't exist, at least in my, my 22 years in corporate, I didn't see that same level of earning your way to more senior roles. Sometimes it was like, oh, well, I'm friends with uh, the senior vice president. That's how I got the role, you know, yeah. or, you know, I went to Harvard. So that's how I got the role. Like, well, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, you know, they went to a certain university where they, you know, so, um, yeah. So I think, I think the Navy had it right when it came to progressively giving you more and more responsibility. Yeah. There are some things where you want, <clears throat> you come from one place. Why are you of, of, I, I kind of joke about how I've, you know, I'm definitely on a list somewhere because with you and, had on Brigadier General Robert Spaulding. I've now had on two members of the nuclear triad. He flew B-2 Spirits. You were on a nuclear sub. And I'm trying yeah. to get a missile ear. It's been... Uh, you got to get a missile ear. Once yeah, I get yeah, all exactly. three, then I'll get the nice knock at the door, which I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to. Because then I'll have them on the podcast too. I'll be like, hey, welcome to Secret <laughs> Service. On. Right? Come it's, on. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm getting interrogated by the FBI. I'll be like, hey, guys, come on in. But, uh, right, I'm a useful idiot, I guess. But where was I was like, oh, yeah, you, you want someone with that skill right you want someone it's well why are you the chief neurosurgeon well i went to harvard medical school and i did a fellowship or a residency in neurosurgery you're like 
all right, yeah, I mean, I suppose that makes sense, right? But yeah. then there's yeah. other things where it's... But then in, in history, I love when there are examples of... Um, and I and not trying to make any sort of political statement, just historically. Like, I thought it's fascinating how they brought in McNamara, right? He was the head of Ford, correct? He was the vice president of Ford or the, so, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Of a, I've had on a, a nuclear missile historian, Chris Gaynor, and he, and he wrote a cool book about, but it goes into, all, it's more commonplace than you'd think when they have a new kind of crash program about the MX missile system or the Minuteman or the Trident or the Titan or whatever, Often and oddly enough, a lot from the auto industry, but they'd bring in the heads of like, maybe there's some nepotism there. I don't know. Maybe I'm proving my own <laughs> point wrong, but like they bring in like the head of Chevy or the, but there are these guys who knew how to take resources. They knew how to take this new thing. It's a brand new product. This hasn't been, you know, focus grouped. We haven't tested this. We haven't, you know, what do people think? It's a new thing. We need now it's the MX missile and it's how we're going to, and it's what the president wants. And it's, but they knew how to sort of take all these resources, switch things around, supply lines, and and get it going. And it's always fascinating to me. So it's like opposed to as opposed to neurosurgery, as opposed to why are you flying a B two Spirit? And it's why I did all this yeah. training. It's like fair enough. Okay, I get it. But then there are things where we see the exact opposite, which is what you're talking about. And it's like, well, why are you in politics? And it's, well, my dad was. Why, yeah, yeah, why, yeah. But... Why, why are you? Why are you? Why why are you going to be the president? Because I was a governor. But why were you the governor? Because I was the mayor. Why? And sure, mm -hmm. I mean, I've never been in politics. Who knows? Maybe I'm eating my own words. But, like, I always think when people are like, so-and-so is an outsider. This guy is a Navy SEAL. Or this guy is an Air Force pilot. Or this woman was in the Coast Guard. Or this guy just ran a business. Or this guy was a stockbroker. Why are they running for Congress? To me, I always look at it as like, well, who else would you want? That's where you mm -hmm. get that sort of leadership it's like get back to the hero's journey i don't care if they're on a nuclear submarine or if you know you built uh uber out of nothing if you distill yourself to the top i mean like if rogan became secretary of state i'd be like i mean he's interviewed 1700 people <laughs> for three hours each and he does fairly well like who else would do it like yeah. well he's been in politics for 87 years and it's to what end though why were they in politics to be in politics well what is you know why are you the leader well i studied leadership at harvard yeah what yeah some people you know think about it this way some people would have 20 years experience doing the same job for 20 years they don't really have <laughs> they have 20 times one year's experience right yeah so i think when you're talking about the people that that do rise to the top it's people that started small and got progressive progressively more responsibility over time, right? And that's how they became successful. Those are the people you want when you have this big project with a lot of moving parts, a lot of people, a lot of politics. Uh, you want the person that's been, whether they've been doing it in an auto company or they're doing it in the military, you want you want that, or doing it in a military program, you want that. You want somebody who's, who's handled a very large project and, and came up through, you know, came up through the ranks with more and more responsibility. The problem comes when, you know, we take, excuse me, we take somebody that has uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, hasn't had that progressively increase in responsibility. They've been doing one job like, like you're mentioning. So I've been in politics for 20 years. So what does that mean? Well, for 20 years, I've been doing the same job over and over again. You haven't really increased your level of responsibility. It hasn't, it hasn't become more difficult for you. You've been doing the same job for 20 years, you know? Yeah. 
So I think about myself. So I start off running. I, I, I was hired as an engineer coming out of the Navy. I had I was in charge of myself and my cubicle. I was really good at that. And then I got a team of like 13 people. I got the QA department. Then I got about 25 people. I got the engineering department. Then I got promoted to a plant. I had 140 people. Then I got multiple plant operations. I had 250 people. And then I had, you know, up to 600 people eventually. But I didn't do it on day one, right? You know, I, I, I had me and my desk, right? And those are the kind of people I look for when I've got a really tough job. I need a good leader. I want to see that progressive. Have, have they... And they've leveled up, right? Because there's attrition at every level. That's one thing about the Navy. There was always attrition. People would people would wash out, especially in the training programs, right? You have 40% dropout of new power school. So we had the top engineers from all over the country go down to Orlando, Florida, go to new power school. 40% didn't, didn't get to the next level. You go to nuclear prototype, 30% didn't make it. You go to submarine school, maybe five or 10% didn't make it. And then you get to the boat. So there's a major amount of attrition that happens before you get to the boat. Now, the people that get get qualified, get their dolphins, well, there's a certain percent that wash out. There's a certain percent that never get qualified as a nuclear engineer. So when you get when you meet the guy that's got the dolphins on his chest, you're qualified as, as a nuclear engineer, you know that they have been through the gauntlet. They have been vetted to get to that point, you know? So you see a big difference between someone who's just had the same job for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, again, it's what, uh, it's like what, what Dale says about Delta Force. He's like, man, he's like the levels of just like, you know, like Army, and then it's like Rangers, and then it's like Green Berets, and then it's like Delta Selection, and then there's like another yeah. level. And he's like, because yeah. well, he's like, and once you get to that level, though, he's like, but there's the beauty of it because once you're in there, you know everyone you're dealing with is just the best, the best, of the best, the best. There's no That's like, it. well, what are we gonna do if shit hits the fan? It's like one guy I found on here, Joe Teddy, who was in the CIA, but he was like he, in like the worst mission of his life, where like they were almost killed. He was like, there was a guy I was with, it's a Delta Force sniper, who was who was in uh, Operation Gothic Serpent, the Black Hawk Down, Mogadishu, and he's yeah. like that guy was there, and it was just. I realized he's like I was thinking things are going to the shit, and this guy was just very calm, cool, and collected. He's like, "Yeah, you know, things don't look too good, but uh, figure we'll move forward." And there's a certain level of like, "Oh, he's been here before. That doesn't mean we're yeah. going to get out alive." But like, there's a certain level of I don't know, like, okay, you got up to this point too, right? And yeah. it's you kind of need that gauntlet. You kind of need that like tears of just like meat shredders, right? Because once oh, you yeah. get to the top, yeah. it's like, well, I know. I know this thing got to the top, right? It's you find a diamond and you're like, that thing went under pressure. It, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter where it was. Was it in a De Beers lab or was it the center of the earth? Like it is a diamond. It's a diamond, it's yeah. a diamond, it's a diamond, it's a diamond. It's going to cut anything. It's hardness yeah. is 10. Like there's a certain level of, I guess, appreciation. I mean, again, it's, it's almost like becoming a billionaire, like not inheriting it, but like for, you know, and, Again, it's half the people in the world think billionaires are Satan, whatever. I don't. But you look at them, and at a certain level, it's like, hey, man, like you can make a million and be a moron. You can maybe even pull off five million and just be an idiot with good looks. Like, once you get to, like, a multi-billionaire, it's like, love them or hate them, like, they did something. They did something, and there's that, there is that sort of, whereas, um, 
Commander Fravor says the that F fifteen or F fourteen pilot who chased the UFO off the Nimitz. Yeah, yeah. He goes. Air, he goes. The Air Force is great because or fighter pilots. It's a great field because it's a self cleaning oven. Yeah, which is yeah. Just, I don't really know where but, I'm going with all this, but no, no. But yeah. you're right. It's a hundred percent there, and I think that's uh, that that does make it. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about when you were talking about that. Is that you know when when the seas are calm, anyone can be you yeah. know the officer of the deck, right? Yeah. But when you're in a winter storm in the North Atlantic, you want your most experienced uh sailor on the helm right you want you want your most experienced team when everything goes to crap right you want those people and that's why we train so hard is so that we would be ready for anything that that could happen yeah you know we were we were prepared and um but the other thing is about is like crappy times and hard times and like you're talking about uh, uh a black hawk down uh the guy the sniper when you've been through through those circumstances, when you've been through hell, it changes your whole perspective. Sure. I mean, nothing I ever did in corporate life was was as difficult as taking a submarine to periscope depth in the middle of a storm. Nothing. I, nothing I did was ever that hard. You know, people people around me I would notice would be stressing out. Oh, we've got this big business review. We've got to have all this done by this date. Really? Well, we got twenty four hours. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, we got seven days a week. It's like, well, what do you mean? Just do it. Like, just do it. Like, it's not that hard, you know? This is what they want. We just deliver what we want. So I think it does give you that perspective. I really think, uh, and I talk about my new book. I actually have a whole chapter on tough times and how important those are to building your character. You talk about the hero's journey. We have to have that in our lives. We have to go through hell, right? If you want to be a really good leader, you have had to have been dipped in the crap and come out on the other side and uh you learn so much about yourself when you go through those really tough times and um you know i in 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 that book i talk about my grandfather he was a um he was a sailor on the uss frost a destroyer escort in world war ii and um they were called upon it's called operation teardrop it's kind of interesting story but um, towards the end of the war they thought that the germans were putting the um the uh, rockets on submarines to, to bomb uh, oh. East Coast cities. So they thought they were putting those bombs on there. So they they had a mission to stop every submarine as towards the end of the war in the North Atlantic uh, from getting to Boston, New York, because they were worried they, worried they were going to launch rockets off these the submarines. Yeah, the V-2s. So... Um, you know, it's a great in in that in that chapter. I talk about what he went through during. It was a winter storm that they you know went up against two U-boats, hit, um, USS Frost, USS Stanton, go up against two U-boats in the middle of a massive storm at night. It's a it's a twelve hour battle, and at the end, uh, the Frost and the Stanton sink two German U-boats during that battle. And my you know, and I kept thinking you know my grandfather was the was the he was the calmest, most collected person I'd ever met in my entire life. And I'm thinking, nothing in his life was ever as difficult as doing what he did sure. in World War II, but specifically that battle, right? He survived. I mean, you think about when a, when a submarine's going up, a, a ship's going up against a submarine, you, you're you not going to win. Yeah, that's one It's very, you're, you're not going to win. And in this case, they not only won, they, they sunk two of the German U-boats that night. And, um, yeah, I just think, like, he went through a lot of crap and, and he was a very calm, he, he, you know, he'd been through it all. And so the rest of his life was easy. 
You know, yeah. I mean, I think I think going through tough times are really, really important. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it I think, you know, when you're going through them, it sucks. Right. But sure. at the end of it, you're like, wow, you know, if I got through that, I can get through anything. Yeah. Right. And I think uh, it gives you a lot of perspective. So those guys you're talking about that have been through, you know, been through hell and war, you know, um, yeah, they come out on the other side a lot different, you know, oh, yeah, yeah they, they don't. Yeah. I've had on, I've had on Mike Durant, the pilot, the Black Hawk Down. Yeah, pilot. I've had him on twice now. He's just the most. It's like a Buddha. You see him talking. He's just, <laughs> just quiet. He's just collected. He's just smiling. And you got to imagine, because no matter what's going on, he's like, "Hey, I don't have a broken back being, you know, paraded around by warlords. Like, you know, yeah. it's not that. So, sure, maybe I got a flat tire in a thunderstorm." You know what's worse than that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Being yeah, held exactly. captive and have your picture broadcast around the world. Like, you know, oh, I stubbed my toe. <laughs> you know what's worse than that? It's right. There's <laughs> got to be a certain level of it. Or it's like, speaking of the, uh, the submarines, uh, yeah, I was going to say it's completely unrelated. But I think I think they actually, one of those submarines, they like stopped without destroying uh it's like off the coast of where I was. This has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. But it was off the coast of where I was born, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I think one of the subs they caught, it was like after Hitler committed suicide. But the sub somehow got lost. And kind of like a Christopher Columbus part two, they were trying to go to Japan. And they ended up getting caught off the coast of New Hampshire. And But they had V2s on it. They had Messerschmitt engines. What they are trying yeah, to do yeah. was bring over the technology to the Japanese. And they are like, hey, you know, last stand here. Use our technology. Lucky yeah, for us, yeah. they kind of just came to our shore, and we were like, you know, a feeder family, <laughs> you're done. Yeah. So yeah, it's over. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. I mean, there are things where, you know, and I've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast. People roll their eyes, but I got into medical school. I've college graduated the University of Georgia in 2013. I got into medical school. You know, talk about like weed out classes, washout classes, organic chemistry, cellular biology, taking the MCAT. I scored yeah. in the top five percentile. I got into a medical school where 15,000 people applied, 100 got in. I went through all of that, and it was very – but it's kind of like the engineer turning into the chief engineer. Like, I was very good at taking tests and memorizing. Mm-hmm. And I got in. You know, God bless, I got in. But I decided I didn't want to go, and so I turned it down, which is I'm smart enough to get in, dumb enough to turn it down. So I decided not to go. And my logic was is – you know, I knew I wasn't happy, but my uncle, who was a physician, told me, he's like, if you're smart enough to get in medical school, you're smart enough to make money doing what you love or make money mm-hmm. doing, make more money doing less work. He's like, you, you can pull it off. And so I was like, okay. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. It wasn't like, I want to do podcasting. I started this podcast December 2019. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but my logic was is like, I think I can be my own boss. I have no idea what I want to do. But I think I can do it. And so that was like, okay, you know, I got into medical school. I went through the gauntlet, or or so I believed. That was the gauntlet in the same way that, like, you can't go take Leadership 101 at Harvard. Like, I, sure, I got through it, but there was a set amount of classes that you had to take and get X score, and the data was there, and it was objective, and if you memorized enough of it, you did well. A couple months after I graduated, my oldest brother committed suicide. Mm. And that, there's the gauntlet. Because then all of a sudden I was like, you know, you can go to the gym, you can push yourself, right? You can, I want to break my PR, I want to bench more than ever. Versus like, you know, 
the helicopter goes down and you got to run 10 miles back to base, mm. you can push yourself in the gym to do seven or eight. What happens when it's an external force? You know, mm-hmm. I can push myself to be the be- best podcaster. It's not the same when you're on a nuclear sub and it's like you, you start to get, you know, no, no piece of coal would ever put itself through the stress needed to become a diamond. It might become a harder piece of coal, but to become that diamond, like Mike Durant would, I would imagine, would never choose to go through what he went through. Right. Your grandfather volunteered, wonderful American. I could only imagine during that battle, he was probably like, boy, I wish I was home right now. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No one. You want to be there. Yeah. No one chooses to go through it. So it's, I got into medical school. I can do whatever I want. And then my brother took his life. And then there's the whole, mm. I mean, it's it's a midlife crisis at 23 because then you're like, what is death? Where do people go when it's all over? What is mm. the great, and then it's the whole, like, you know, it was self-inflicted. It's not just that, you know, what if it was a car crash? That would be hard enough. self what did I do? When you know, it's the nature of life right, and death. Right. And it's, yeah. it's just this whole thing that drives you to the brink of, like, I don't know what to do. And mm. then, so I remember I got into pharmacy school uh, the fall, this later the year that he committed suicide. And I was like, I want to go study like, re, like chemicals for depression or whatever. But then even as that kind of went on, I was like, you know, I think I just don't want to be like a doctor going to a job. Mm-hmm. Like it's so again, smart enough to get into pharmacy school, dumb enough to turn it down. And there was a moment where I remember I was like, I'm going to keep doing this and this isn't going to work. Like girlfriend at the time was getting fed up with me. Parents were like, what are you doing? And it was like, me, it was like, what am I doing? I've been out of college for a year now. And everyone that got into medical school is going to become a doctor. And those who didn't have jobs and are doing other things. And there I am still like doe eyed, like, well, what am I going to do with my life? I just want to have fun. And losing my brother kind of gave me the balls to go, oh, when I turned down medical school acceptance, I knew it was because I wanted to go do pharmacy school. So it wasn't totally like badass. I was like, I'm just, I'm just sidestepping. You know, I'm washing out of the sub program because I want to go be on an aircraft carrier. Right, right. The second time when I turned it down, it was in light of my brother. And it was also because I saw a quote. And I think it was Alexander the Great. And if it's not, who cares? We'll say it is. It says, if you want to take the islands, burn the boats. Yeah. And it's sort of like a self. If you want to become a piece of diamond, like you're not going to be able to put the pressure on yourself. But like a piece of coal can jump into like, I don't know, the magma. And it's like, mm-hmm. as soon as you jump in, you're going to, you know, like Ron Burgundy, I immediately regret this decision. Like, you're going to hate it. Right. But right. if you do come out on the other side, you'll be a diamond. Mm-hmm. And like you said, when you're in those hard times, no part of you is like, well, you know, I'm learning. You know, that's like a moderate time. You're like, I'm learning. A yeah. real hard time is you're like, I hate this. I want to go home. I'm oh, crying. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to shit my pants. I'm going to throw up. I just want to go home. Like, I just want to, where's mom? I just want to go home. But doing that and then kind of spiraling downwards, having to move home with my parents at age 26 and move, didn't move out till this past April, was home for almost five years, going insane, no love life, no social life. And you're like, what am I doing? But eventually working at a liquor store and IDing people a decade younger than me and doing a podcast above my parents' garage, I was like, so I'm saying all of that to say, eventually got to a point where it's like the coal was pushed through the filter where I was like, Mm. there's nowhere else to go but forward. 
I just got to start doing podcasts every day and getting every guest I can. And for every guest I have on, like yourself, there's 99 that don't respond to the emails. But if you can come through on the other side and now the podcast is making money and I get to have on bigger guests and it's paying for my apartment. And I know I've been rambling for like 10 minutes, but if you can get through, it's beautiful and you have lessons that you can't be taught in school. Yeah. It's just, so, yeah. I, sorry, I know I'm rambling. No, no, but you know, I, I, yeah, I talk about that in, like I said, the new book, I talk about those high watermarks that you have in your life, having withstood those tough times, right? Having, when you, when you go through those tough times, you have a benchmark that you always mentally have in the back of your head that says, I've been through this, I can get through this, right? You have that baseline, you have done it, you have, you have persevered through some really tough circumstances and and it sucked all the way through. But you came out on the other side with a lot of experience and a lot of confidence. Oh yeah. So part of it too is confidence that you gain having withstood a difficult time. You know, from a leadership perspective, when you lead in a difficult time, there it's 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 an extra challenge because you're not only are you dealing with your voices of self-doubt and worry and concern and you know but you have to look confident in front of your team while you're trying to do it so you're so you've got your inner voice saying holy shit holy shit holy shit right and but your outer voice is like you know guys we got to do this or we're going to do it. yeah so yeah. you're you're focused on on the mission and getting it done uh and so when you when you can silence those voices and and actually achieve some pretty tough things as a leader your confidence level goes through the roof you're like oh i can do anything like if i went through that i can you know um you know i mean i you know i give some of my you know some some stories you know where like um i had i had a um workforce that walked out on me i went on strike for six months and I was the general manager of the of the factory at the time. Uh, and I had the chairman of the board of the company I worked for said, I want that factory running. I want you to be make, making the same amount we were making if why the union was there. Oh, the boss, there's no way we could do that. We're a bunch of accountants and salesmen and quality guys and how are we going to do that? Figure it out. And we did figure it out, figured out how to run that plant during a strike. Um, it was hard. I mean, it was really hard. And it was, you know, 12 hour days and crossing the picket line in buses and being called every name in the book, um, having 60 year old men, you know, give me the finger uh, every day, protesters in front of my house. I, bet I run a business. I run a business right now. I, it's my own business. This is easy. This is simple. I don't have people. I don't have people picketing my house. I don't have, um, you know, people calling me names by uh, having press conferences every day with the local media. I don't do that now. You know, this is easy. I've been through that. Right. That was difficult. This is easy. You know. So I think when you when you've had those rough times, it really just gives you perspective and helps you really think differently about about your life and what you're doing. 
Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going through, you know, people listening right now, there's probably people going through a rough spat, a yeah. rough patch right now. Yeah. And I would say, you know, it's okay. You know? Yeah. It's, you know, it's okay. Yeah. You're, you're going to learn some lessons that are going to be, they're going to really help you later in life. So, you know, embrace it. Yeah. It's you know, kind of like that cheesy, but I love it. There's no such thing as, as losing. There's losing, or sorry, there's, there's yeah. winning and learning, not winning and losing. That's it, 100%. So you, you messed yeah. it up, all right, play again, right? You walk through a minefield in a video game. All right, well, I know there's a 2,000-pound anti-personnel mine there. Let's go left this time, right? And then right, you, you go, go left, yeah. You go left, and you hit the next one, you go, all right, well, now you got to go left, right. Like, it's, but even even then you're saying, you know, it's your business is easy now. You're not being picketed and given the middle finger by old guys, and it's yeah. not old guys. My dad's 63, so he's probably going to text me how old I'm do you 54. think so yeah I'm, i don't know i'm 54 but at the time you know i was it was just, this was a while ago but anyone older just than weird. yourself is old right, right? yeah exactly so i'm thir- yeah. i'm 31 so everyone that's 32 and older i'm like look at those dinosaurs yeah right i'm it's, an old man yeah right yeah. but even during that time okay so right now your own business you're like yeah it's easier than getting picketed and taking the buses through the i thought you were saying that you guys were driving buses through the picket picketers and i was like dude that's hardcore like, <laughs> no, mowing them no. down. Yeah, no, 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 I, no. I got you. I got you. But we, even we loaded during... up in buses and went across together yeah. on the across yeah. the picket no, lines. I got you. Even yeah. I have this would be a much different podcast if I was like, so you're the guy that ran over a union with a greyhound. Yeah. that would yeah. be badass. I'm not even hey, you know, get it done. But but even then, I'm jumping around it now. Even during the picketing and the buses and the middle finger, man, probably wasn't as stressful as sleeping between two nuclear missile tubes. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, you know, I mean, you've, that's the thing is you had that high watermark. You've been there before, right? Okay, yeah. well, this sucks, I, but I've been here before, right? Yeah. I know I'm confident I can get through this because I've been here before. Yeah. I've done this before, right? I've had this stress before. Um, when I when I received my dolphins, when I got my, my um, submarine warfare officer in, um, it was after my second patrol. And uh, somebody found a picture and sent it to me recently. And I looked at it, I just laughed. I was, I was real thin. It looked like I hadn't slept in weeks. Um, my uniform looked two sizes too big for me. And I was as happy as I could ever be. I had suffered for that year. I had just suffered for, for two patrols as an unqualified officer. I just, I worked my tail off to get those, those dolphins. And it's one of the proudest moments of my life is to get to achieve that, you know, to get that to where someone says, you, you are a qualified submarine officer and um you know you know like i said it's just like i'd been through and you could see it in my body i mean my body was just you know i'd lost weight i i was hadn't slept i I looked looked terrible but i was as happy as i could be the the smile on my face when i was getting that pin so it was a friend of mine that was in the navy with me he sent me that picture i was like holy cow that's a cool cool picture so because you could see the joy on my face but my body looked beat up so you know it's one of those things I remember finishing, and granted now it's, a, and I'm already, I'm already turning into an old man. I'm like, you don't know what it's like now. But I mean, even in 2009, going to a tiny school in southern Georgia for college, Valdosta, Georgia, which is like a time capsule from 1860, pledging up a fraternity there, where, I mean, I mean, if you knew what went on there now, it'd be shut down for like hate crimes and political incorrectness. But I mean, going through that for like your first three months of college, it's already like, 
a weird time because you're living living by yourself for the first. But then going through a fraternity of a bunch of like sociopathic like drunk Southern guys who are they're fresh out of being pledges and now they're like now we got some pledges to turn the right, heat on. Right. Man, I remember like finishing that that pledge ship, and it was like you couldn't bring me down if you wanted to. It was like I was full of helium. I remember like walking back to my dorm like on the f- after the final night of like hell week same thing like rail thin hadn't slept like dazed your know, hair's messed up you look like a crackhead but i remember walking back and i was just like nothing can bring me down and it was great. Yeah. and i mean and from there i partied for a semester afterwards but then i went hardcore for 3 years and i wasn't even a good student my freshman year like getting into medical school was an uphill battle i i had terrible grades my first year but even that i remember thinking i was like this sucks it's like, man, this isn't as bad as, you know, yeah. you know, it's, you know, getting beaten and made to drink vodka and mustard until you're puking out of your nose. And, you know, yeah. and I was like, this isn't as bad. And then, you know, but then there's like, there's an odd thing where it's what happens when you come to a new high water mark. Because before that, you can go, well, it's, the water's not as high as that time. When I lost my brother, all of a sudden, there was no like, well, you know, I got yeah. to med school. I was like, yeah. yeah, that means nothing. Oh, no, you had to study flashcards this is like another level of just like, yeah, there's no one to yeah. go to, right? You do bad in an yeah. OCHEM class. You can go to a professor and they're like, we're going to get you through this. Or you can find a friend that went ahead of you yeah. and they're now in med school and they're like, Hey dude, you're going to survive. I mean, what, what do you do after you lose a sibling? I mean, you can go to like a priest and you can drink, but there's no yeah. one that's like, Oh, let me tell you, you know, this is where your brother is now. And it's like, no, we're going into the ethereal realms of like philosophy where there is no solid ground. And mm-hmm. it's just like, what is life? You're on a rock floating around a star. What does anything mean? What is, yeah. and you're just like, I mean, you start to lose your mind. But like, yeah. if you can get through that, I mean, you just get confident. So now, whereas like, when I lost my brother, I wasn't like, oh, I did med school. I was like, that's nothing. But that was the high water mark. So when I decided to start this podcast, December 12th, 2019, had no idea what I was doing, and my logic was is I'm just going to get a friend to do the first episode. So he did that. And then once I had an episode, I could get a more timid friend to do the second episode because I'm like, look, he did it. And then once you do five of those, you can find someone that maybe you don't know as well. And you go, hey, you want to be episode six? We've already done a couple. They go, sure. And then you and then you do that, and then you move on to Reddit, and you go find people that just tell stories. I'm a doctor. I'm an engineer. And you're like, you want to do my potty? And you get bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you get, yeah. you know, I got the yeah. Delta Force guy, and 50 episodes later, I got Mike Durant. And then 100 episodes after that, I got the guy that walked in the moon. And then, you know, 200 episodes after that, you get the guy that invented the mRNA vaccine. And it's you can kind of keep moving up higher and higher. And although it's been difficult to do, man. It's the easiest thing in the world in comparison to just you wake up every day and you're like, oh, there's now one less of us. Yeah. I know what it's like to lose a sibling. Huh. Versus now I'm like, even throughout the course of this podcast, this has been like a therapy session. Because just talking earlier, you know, I'm like, I got to do this and then I got another one after this and then I got to get the dogs and I got to do that and I haven't hit in the gym. And <laughs> even now just talking to you, I'm like, you remember what it was like to wake up in the middle of the night and just like stare at the ceiling because nothing felt real anymore? And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I'll watch these dogs. I don't care. Like, I'll, t- I'll t- yeah, I'll t- exactly. Shit. Like, what, you're, you're what is this? Yeah. What is this? This is, oh yeah, yeah. no, yeah, real, real tough, huh? Oh well, no, I'll take this ten out of ten times. And I can yeah. only imagine with you, it's, you know, this sucks. You. Know, <laughs> 
you know it's tougher <laughs> you ever slept <laughs> between two nuclear missile silos right that's right. a hoot you know it's yeah. well, I, I think you know your experience with the podcast is kind of really unique um i i i operate this way in leadership is that um you know a lot of guys get when they make decisions right when you're making they're trying to make a decision in leadership is they spend a lot of time trying to get all the data. They want to make the right decision and they spend a lot of time looking at it. And I'm not a big fan of that. I've always believed in like getting started and fixing it along the way, like making a decision, move in a certain direction, and then just look for feedback. Is it working? Is it not working? Can we, do we need to shift? Do we need to change? So, um, and I think you did that probably with this podcast, right? You said, I'm going to get started. I'm going to start a podcast, right? What do I need? I need a microphone. I need someone sitting on the other side, right? And so you did that with a friend and then you had another friend and then you had, as you said, you grew and you learned. And I would imagine if I listened to your first episode, it would probably suck. Dude, it is not only that, the video and the audio, it looks and sounds like it was filmed on a Game Boy underwater. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and then so you want you want to have a good laugh? Go watch Joe Rogan, the number one podcast in America. Watched his first episode. It totally sucked, uh, right? You're gonna suck yeah. at anything that you you any new thing you try, yeah. right? And that's okay. Yeah. And, you know, and and, and I think um, there's a great quote, and I can't remember who says it, but that that the um, if it says if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you're moving too slow. Yeah. And I always think about that, especially as an entrepreneur, I need to move fast. And and by the way, it's funny because I do see early versions of our product that we, you know, that we demo, that we had at trade shows, we had, you know, we had demos at trade shows and they were awful. They were embarrassing. And when I think back at it, I'm like, yes, I did it. I put something out there. It was completely embarrassing, but I moved, I, 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 I moved in a direction and I kept getting better. And now my products are much better than they used to be. Was it embarrassing? Was what I, my early versions? Absolutely. And I think it's it's okay to uh, suck when you start somebody something. That's that's okay. That's all right. I think some people don't do things for fear that they're they're going to be bad at it. They don't want to work. They don't want to go to the gym because you know that's kind of embarrassing. You know, I don't. I you know I'm not going to be able to put on you know 45 plates on a bench. You know, so I I, I don't want I don't want to put you know. I don't want to just be benching just the bar, you know, that's embarrassing, right? Guess what? Everybody starts somewhere and you're going to suck in the beginning and that's okay, right? Just go, just start, just do it. You know, um, I've never written a book before, but I wrote two. I have two books on the bestseller list right now on Amazon. I don't know. I'm an engineer. How did I do that? I don't know. I just did it, right? You just do it. You you figure it out, you know, and, um, uh, you know, and, and and you meet people along the way and I'm sure... With podcasting, you've met people along the way that's that have steered you and helped you and say, oh, okay, you know, I'm doing this right. I'm doing this wrong. I could get better here. That's what happened with me with writing the book is I met people along the way that were really, that had written books before or that knew how to market books or, you know, had a website or knew how to build a website. You just find those people along the way. And now people are seeking me out. They're like, okay, I just had somebody this morning email me. And they're working on a book right now. It's like, can I hire you to help me do the book launch? Because you've got two under your table, you know, under you've done two and you've you've been successful. I want to learn. So now suddenly I'm an expert. Well, I can tell you, I wasn't an expert two years ago when I launched my first book. I'm a little bit better now. I wouldn't call myself an expert yet. But my point is the same thing with you. When you started your podcast, you were not an expert. But some people might say, You're an expert now. You've done this for, you know. 
over a year and a half and yeah. you've got you know hundreds of uh, episodes filmed so you know to go from being a novice to an expert it just takes work oh yeah. you know I mean, you can it just go, takes effort yeah I mean, it's, it's again, it's kind of like that Joe Rogan. And that's the thing is, I and I always say this like a like a hipster. I started watching Rogan in, in 2011 in college. I would just oh, wow. listen to him when I was studying. And even yeah. then, I was like, oh, the Fear Factor guy is pretty good. And now mm. it's become this massive thing. And like an idiot, I'm always like, well, I was listening to him. Like it, like like that, like I did anything. But that's just right. my ego. Again, that's another tangent for another time. But like, yeah, no, it's, but it's like that Rogan joke, right? He's like, you never. There's never a day where you become an adult. You go, ah, I'm an adult now. Because one <laughs> yeah. day, you know, one day you're at the grocery store and you pay and then the kid goes, will that be pl- uh, paper or plastic, sir? And you go, oh, God. Oh, I'm an adult now. It's, right. Yeah. You wake up one day and you go, so no, I, I don't consider myself an expert at all. But people that do ask me for podcast advice, I'm like, oh, God help you if you're asking me. Yeah. Oh, but suddenly we become the we become the experts, right? Yeah. You know, and that's you know it's funny because when I first when when you write a book, they say that there's two things happening at one time. You have the, the muse on one shoulder and you have mm-hmm. the critic on the other. The muse is there talking to you, saying this is great, everyone's going to love it. It's the best thing you've ever written, the best book ever written. And the other and the critic is saying, um, this sucks, dude. Who's going to read this book? Who are you? You know. To, to, to claim that you know something about leadership who who are you you know and so those two things battle it out when you're when you're writing and the thing is you need both right you need the critic to say that sucks so that you're like i, I need to fix that right but you but you also need the muse to say keep going this is okay this is good you know so i think we need those two voices throughout our journey as we're learning something is it's okay to have a critical voice in your head but it's also you got to have that voice that says keep going keep going like like podcasting just keep going that one kind of sucked you know all oh, my guest uh, had a bad connection and you know the audio dropped out in the middle of the show yeah. it sucks right yeah i'm a podcaster this happened to me yeah, so oh, yeah. you, oh, i'm no. sure it's happening to you so, oh, so yeah. it happens right so what you know i mean yeah. it's okay guess what it probably won't happen next time you're going to learn something that you're going to make sure that doesn't happen again you know yeah. So I think, I think it's, uh, I think those are really good. And, and I think a lot of people are use are, are afraid of failing. So they don't do certain things. And I think as far as if, if, if I have any success in my life, it's because I just do things and I'm stubborn enough not to quit when I start something, Yeah. you know, I started working out 13 years ago. That was my new year's resolution 13 years ago and I'm still doing it. Yeah. Right. So like when I hear stories like, oh, you know, mostly, you know, 90% of people, they work out for two weeks and they stop. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm at the 13 year mark. So I guess I'm doing okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you just do it yeah. and you keep doing it, you yeah. know, it's, and you make it a habit and it's just, you just keep moving forward and, and, uh, and you learn along the way, you fix along the way, you know? And I think that's important. Yeah. There are, right. There are episodes you do and you finish and you're like, what the fuck <laughs> was that? what was, you know, you catch your reflection in a mirror and it's like, you have some like ancestor who's like a Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt or a, I don't know, uh, uh, a Rockefeller. Not that that's not right. right at all. I don't know why I'm making up this crazy delusion, but you almost imagine there's just like, you see someone looking at you in the mirror and they're like, are you going to put your name on that? <laughs> you just, sometimes you do episodes and you click out and the screen's black and you see your reflection and you're like, what the fuck was that? Put yeah, you upload yeah. it. And you're like, 
that's the thing is I upload the ones I don't want to upload because I'm like, whew, not only did I shit the bed, but I'm going to let the whole world see the laundry. <laughs> like it's. Yeah. I, and I think there's something about that that is, is okay. I mean, um, <sighs> um, you, uh, micro, you know, micro uh-huh. dirty, dirty jobs, jobs right? Yeah. He, he was on uh, Joe Rogan. I guess you and I are Joe Rogan fans. So uh, he was on Joe Rogan. And when he said something that I, I've, I've always believed is right, and it's what's helped me in podcasting. He said there's that dirty jobs was was successful for one reason and one reason only it was authentic he said they wouldn't do multiple takes they would start the cameras and they had multiple cameras at different angles and they would do one take and he said there's authenticity in one take right so the ums the ahs the all the things that you don't want to do in the podcast that's natural that's normal people see authenticity when they see the blemishes and they see the imperfections and they see that you know, your your guest glitched out for a minute or so, or the dog barked. By the way, there's two dogs in this room right now, and they are being really good. So uh, hey, I bring my dogs to work. So my first, and, uh, my sorry, my first like 200 episodes before we had to put my dog down. But he was 17 and a half, and he had been paralyzed from the waist back since he was two. So I had a 17 yeah. and a half year old blind, deaf, dementia-ridden, diaper-wearing dog who would just be howling and screaming and shitting on the floor and I'd be doing podcasts like, just ignore that, just ignore that, it's just my dog right. barking, like, right. so please right. tell me again what was it like to get shot down in Mogadishu? Right, it's just right. Like, exactly. But yeah, you, 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 you pick it up, sorry, I interrupted you, but yeah, you... you no, but, but my point is, you, you just, you capture my point, which is that there's authenticity when... Yeah. When you see the blemishes, right? See, when you see, see the imperfections. You see acne or you nick yourself shaving. Like, yeah, you yeah. see it and you go, yeah, there's hair sticking up. And you go, ah. That's real. Yeah, That's that life. Ain't, you, that ain't great. There it is. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, and it, it does go to leadership too, is that, you know, I always talk about being authentic with your people and being, sharing your real emotions and, and bringing your whole self to work and having your people bring them whole, their whole selves to work. So you're not acting. You're not playing some game. You're, I'm the perfect leader. You're the perfect employee. No, we're, we all suck and we're all trying to learn this. We're all trying to get better, you know, and I think that's, people sense that they see that you're real. You're someone they can talk to you, you know, um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on the shop floor with my employees. I I've always done that except in the union shop, but that's a whole nother story. But, um, but I've always, uh, had steel toe boots and I would go to the shop floor and spend time with my employees side by side working together. So I would learn about them, about what they did understand how difficult their, their jobs were and have a relationship with them. And, you know, in the first, you know, at my first plant, employees thought I was crazy. I was 32 years old. I had my first manufacturing plant and they thought I was nuts. So I had this thing called Fridays on the floor and, and uh, first Friday of every month, I would go pick a different area in the plant. I'd go work side by side with the operators. So, you know, the show undercover boss, have you, have you heard that? Yeah. Yeah. So the premise there is that there's a, CEO of a company goes undercover and he works an entry level job and he learns about his business and what have you. So I was doing that long before that show even came out. I was actually spending time working with my employees and uh, I learned about a lot about them, built relationships and I learned what was wrong, what was really wrong. It was like, you know, too many bosses isolate themselves and they surround themselves with yes, man. They live in a bubble. Everything's good. All the news is good. And they don't face reality, you know. And I think if you're going to be good at anything, you got to go. <laughs> excuse me. You're good. You got to go. You got to go where the action is. You got to learn, right? You got to spend time with with people. And I've been doing that, and that's been a lot. I, I've learned a lot 
just from getting out there and doing it and meeting with the people and having that relationship and seeing how difficult their jobs are. And, you know, my level of respect went up when I spent time with people like that. And their respect went up for me as they saw me. They saw me as not some perfect guy in a corner office that had all the answers, but someone that was like them, that was trying to get better every day, you know, and just doing my best to, to, to run the business, to learn them. And so I think we relate to people better when they're authentic and we trust them more when they're more authentic because we're seeing their whole, you know, you're seeing the real, they're being real. They're not putting on an act. It's not a, you know, I mean, you know, we're not to get political, but you, you see, you know, politicians give a speech and, you know, most of us are like, I don't think he feels that way or she feels that way. They're just saying it to, for a certain group of their constituents. They got to get that, you know, that message out there. But I think, you know, the idea of, and that's one of the reasons I like podcasts. And the, one of the reasons I like the way Joe Rogan does it is he turns the mic on and for three hours they talk. That's all and this is. I don't edit. Yeah, out. I don't edit out a damn thing. Yeah, whatever Nothing. happens, happens, and that's and that's you know, and I think we we're, we're missing that. We 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 you know, we're living a soundbite society, right? Yeah. And we're missing these deeper conversations. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I I like Joe Rogan because they get it. They have a chance to. Ha- I mean, it's crazy. We we talk about young Jamie. Uh, we have uh, I do a podcast with another leadership author called the X Factor Podcast, and we 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 look for. Uh, People, products, things that have that have you know risen above above the, the crowd. They're, they've done something different. So we kind of we take a subject and we both take it take it apart and we come at it from different angles. It's kind of a fun show. But we have we have a uh, producer. The reason I was bringing that up is because we have a producer, and we say you got to be more like young Jamie, or you got to be faster on the buttons, you know? Because think about that, Jamie. You know the producer. You, it's a miracle. I don't know. You know, how do you follow Rogan's train of thought? I mean, he's just, he's all over the place. And yet, you know, Jamie's like, I got it. I got it. You know, bring that up, Jamie. He's got it already. You know, it's already up there. So we're always like, you gotta be more like Jamie. Uh, but that show is all over the place. Right. But yet it's, 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 it's changing society right now. It's, right? Down. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's where people are going for their information now. Yeah, you know, it's and it and it's because we we want authenticity. Yeah, we 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 crave it. We're tired of the sound bites. We're tired of the talking heads. We want to see somebody in a t-shirt smoking a cigar, drinking, you know, Buffalo Trace, and telling us about the world. You know. Yeah, it's yeah, speaking good. speaking of authenticity. <laughs> I gotta hit the restroom. Can I keep you for like 10, 15 more minutes? I know I said I'd yeah, let you absolutely. go in an hour. Yeah, but, uh, I'm just looking at my emails coming in. We're good. All right, good. Yeah, sure. we're good. Okay. Well, I need you to hold it down because I'm going to go use the restroom, and that's how authentic this podcast is. Tell everybody where to get your two books. Yeah, so if you're interested in learning more about uh, what I write about, so I have two books out, um, but they're both on my, my website. Go to johnsrenny.com, and um, both my books are on there, johnsrenny.com. Uh, and or you can go to eyeofthewatch.com. That was my first book, or uh, allinthesameboatbook.com, and you can uh, find links to both the books. They're leadership books, but they um, come from a perspective of my uh, time in the submarine navy as a naval officer and how I took those ideas, those concepts, um, those experiences. And I brought them into uh, the corporate world and eventually the entrepreneurial world. So um, 
if you have any interest in what life was like on a submarine and uh, what it was like to live, lead, uh, you know, the experiences we had, these, these are good books. But if you're also looking to level up your leadership game, there's a lot of uh, nuggets of wisdom, I think, in these books. So, you know, I encourage you to go uh, check them out. Uh, and if you want to hear more from me, I do run a podcast called Deep Leadership and uh, one another one called The X Factor Podcast that I do with uh, Coach John Brubaker. So those two are available out there, you know, wherever good podcasts are sold. So, yeah, you're back. Hey, I'm back. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the authenticity, right? When you, when you just get to hear someone talk. Myself, I'm, I'm, I've been all over the place politically in my short life. I've, every four years I vote for a different party. That's true. I just change and I grow and I grow and I change. Currently, I'm more of a conservative guy. But even just listening to like Bernie talk on Rogan, mm. I was like, I don't really, you know, I don't agree with him. He's not my guy. But I was like, at the same time, he's not like, look at this communist. It's like, oh, this is just a dude who's just who, oh my God, sees things differently than I do. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, yeah. oh, and in a democratic society, that's okay. And when yeah, everyone disagrees, yeah. someone goes, hey, if you like this idea, vote for that guy. You like that idea? Vote. And it's like, oh, you get to sit down and hear them talk. And you go, it's just, this is just a dude who, who sniffles and drinks water and sometimes coughs. And it, you go, oh, this is just, this is just guy. And it's yeah. not the whole soundbite of, you know, 0.3 seconds of Bernie saying taxes. And it's like, there he is. He's Mao. And it's like, well, you yeah. guess you're right. He's a communist. We need to shoot him. And it's like, versus you hear him talk and he's just like, how you doing, Joe? And it's just, you know, you're like, oh, this is just a yeah. dude. This is truly yeah. just a guy just like yep. me who just so happens to see the world differently. And it's on that kind of authenticity note, and this is what I want to ask you about is – is so I've had on Dr. Robert Malone who invented the mRNA vaccine technology mm -hmm. when he worked for DARPA and it's now used by Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson. Mm -hmm. I've had on Dr. Peter McCullough last week, the most published cardiologist in world history. And I had on both of them who are these titans of medicine with impeccable CVs and they have both said some rather unpopular things about vaccines I'm not a physician and I'm not advocating anyone to take my advice I'm just going to quote or I'm just going to repeat what they said they're a lot more dangerous than people think and not everyone needs them and younger people might actually be at greater risk from the vaccine than the disease whereas older people probably gonna it's probably gonna be better for you to get the vaccine as opposed to COVID because COVID might kill you Simple enough statement. I'm not a doctor. I don't say those things. Or I do if I parrot them. But I say all that to not even get into, again, nuclear submarine, podcast guy. We're not going to talk about the intricacies of molecular biology. It's, we are not qualified, right? I'm not qualified. We can yeah. talk about nuking a nation. We'll do that. We can go deeply into that. But it, well, actually, that's classified. So, But the point is, is having them on and talking about these things that no one wants to hear and the group think is very strong in the opposite direction. 
But for me, it's, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't own stock in Pfizer, nor do I have a, an interest in ivermectin. I have nothing to gain from my Everyone in my family has a vaccine. All my friends do, and some don't. It's not, there isn't some, ha-ha. To me, I despise censorship. And I understand private companies, sure. I also understand Section 230, and is the White House working with social media and... I love the Cold War. I love reading about it. I really love all of 20th century. And just, you go anywhere, there's never been one time, you know, it's not you can say, you know, if someone uses a gun, they're never the good guys. No, well, I would say, you know, we went in and liberated the concentration camps and we had guns and I I think there's an exception. I think we're the good guys. Never has there been a group of people that do the censoring and dictating of a narrative and it turns out they did it right see well those are the good guys nothing ever good comes from that and best case scenario nothing good comes of it and it's just a blemish worst case scenario and more often than not it turns into a bunch of people depends on what century it is or what decade it is or what continent it is it always kind of ends the same way Everyone goes to the camps. That's just how mm. it goes. Like it or not, 100 million people died between 1900 and 2000 from the direct results of communist regimes. That's a fact. Just like gravity is 9.81 meters per second. I just dropped that on my crotch. That hurt. It's That's where it goes. So I say all of that to not get into left, right, communism. The cap, No, I don't, I don't give a shit. And vaccines, I, I don't care. I, I, I don't care. I don't. None of that's what I care about. What I do care about is I have to do what I feel is right. Again, if it's John Rennie going, let me tell you about vaccine comorbidities, I'd be like, dude, shut up. Just shut up. Tell me about the nuclear submarines. And conversely, if I'm sitting here going, you know what? You know, I'll tell you about being on a nuclear-powered sub, guys. You and your cohorts are going to be like, who's this kid? Tell him to shut up. And I'm like, yeah. nuclear submarines are tw- 10 miles long and they fly. And it's like, dude, what the hell are you talking about? When these two... There is no higher. They're Dr. McCullough and Dr. Robert Malone. There is no higher authority on them, period. One guy invented it, and one is the most published cardiologist in world history. Why is that important? Myocarditis, pericarditis, inflammation of the heart, which is now an official warning on the vaccines. Having them on and knowing it's going to be unpopular, knowing that it eventually did result in the suspension of my YouTube account, it's happened four times now, I'm 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 laying out all of this to bring to the as you can tell throughout this podcast I I, don't, I can't do it concisely. I lay out all of this to say, from what you have learned in leadership, is there sort of an answer to this? So like, I'm building up this thing. It's been like this plant. I've been watering and protecting it, and it's growing from me and a friend to me and Mike Durant, and all the way to episode five thirty with you. It's this thing I'm growing and I'm flourishing and I'm trying to protect it from all outside sources and I don't want it to be destroyed. Or, and then all of a sudden there comes a point where it's like I feel I have to almost take like an ethical stand to where I'm like I can't I can't look in the mirror if I like bend over to the crowd. If I think that something wrong is going on and I think censorship is a wrong thing and I have a head and I've learned and I've read about you know all of the 20th century – and I see where this goes. 
I have to stand up for what I believe. My great uncle was on Omaha Beach at 18, you know? My fight's a lot easier. I just have to have on a guest that maybe says unpopular opinions. At the risk of damaging the very thing I'm trying to grow, but at the same time, I feel like if I don't implement these standards now for myself, well then what other excuse am I going to make in 10 years when I have the audience Rogan does and I have millions of dollars? Am I going to go, eh, you know, I'm not going to have him on, you know, it's not good for business. Or do I have to take the stand now, like you talk about in your book, Trick-fil-A, and it's like, and they're off on Sundays, right? Yeah. So I'm saying all that to say, like, because we haven't touched on this what do you think about that? What is your advice on Tommy? Your podcast is too small for you to be taking like an ethical stand on censorship. But to me, it's like, if I don't lay down those foundations now, you know, it's like, if you don't, if you can't clean your room, well, how the hell are you going to run a corporation? It's if I don't, if I don't stand up for what I believe in now, then, then how am I ever going to start doing it when I have actual sponsors that I am at risk of losing? Yeah, no, you're, it's a good, it's a good point. I mean, that's where, you know, part of being successful as a leader is you gain more and more, well, you get more and more authorities, but you take care of the small things, right? And then you're given more and more responsibility as, you know, as your bosses, as, as the company sees you progress. So yeah, you want to take care of the right things, even when you're you know, not Joe Rogan, right? You want to take care of the right things right from day one. That being said, I do have some concerns about what we're seeing from a leadership perspective, because what I've seen is it's the weak leaders that don't want to hear opposing views. They don't want to hear from other people that have views that are different from theirs. They want to shut down any voices that oppose um, their, whatever their concept or their ideas or what they're trying to do. So it's the weak bosses, the weak leaders that, that, that believe in shutting down, um, you know, opposition. And, you know, it's funny because as a, as a older guy, a patriot. I was a, you know, I'm a veteran. I, I I did my time in the military. I always thought censorship would come from the government. I always thought that that was going to be the problem, right? And we're trying to stay vigilant against government censorship, but I didn't realize it was going to come from corporations, companies, large corporations. I mean, um, you know, the YouTubes and the Twitters and the Facebooks of the world are not little companies. These are major corporations. Uh, and I never thought that I would see government and, um, you know, tech companies sort of, they're colluding, I don't know, but organizing against voices opposed to, you know, what they're, what they're trying to do. And I think this whole pandemic, COVID, vaccines has shown aside to government and big corporations, I think is scary to a lot of people certainly scary to me as an older, you know, an older American that didn't expect it to come this way, you know, that, um, and I do agree with you that it seems like the voices of the censors, the people that are, have, have been uh, censoring people who want to control what people say and do 
are not the ones that are the heroes in history, right? These are these are, these are the once. villains in history. Never once. And um, and that's what that's what sort of bothers me a little bit. So, but but bringing it back to you and and what you're doing, I mean, you know, uh, I would tell you this. Um, I have been fired for standing up for what I believe, and and that's okay, you know. Um, I have seen people who have been canceled come out stronger after being canceled. Um, so I think you got to stick to what you believe in, right? And as long as you know you're on the you're on the right side of truth and you're doing your best to, um, you know, you're, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't really know you that well. We've been on the podcast for a little while together, but um, you're not a belligerent like, oh, this is that way, you know, and, and, and uh, these people are. You know, you know, you're not a tinfoil hat or you know the five G, the chip in the arm, or whatever. You're, you're, you know, you're reasonably saying there may be another point of view on vaccines than what what we're hearing, right? And that that kind of discourse should be allowed, right? And 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 it should be presented. And we should you could have guests on that have different opinions. And I think if you're a strong leader, right? If you're if you believe in the that you're doing the right thing. And you should allow for other people to, to debate you and have the discussions and have the you know I think that's a, I think that when you when you start shutting people down then, then it shows weakness it shows fear it shows that you have to control people you know and you know look what's happening in Cuba right now you know it's not people that want to stay there they they want to get out they want to you know they they don't like that kind of a government and uh, we seem to want that we 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 you know so. You know, I've traveled around the world and, and uh, I have seen, you know, I've been to China many times. It is not, you know, it's impressive what they're doing, you know, the, 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 the amount of construction, the manufacturing, it's really impressive. But there is an underlying current of you don't talk against the Chinese government or you're just going to disappear. Like you, 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 you're gone. Like you, you, you know, it's. Yeah, you don't get they, censored, they, you get disappeared. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, um, yeah, so I'm just I just worry that we are going down a path, and and I think I'm worried that there isn't enough um, younger people that are seeing this and you know saying, hey, let's uh, put a stop to this because, you know, um, who's the guy that uh, and I always forget his name, uh, the info war guy, um, Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Sorry, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a big Alex Jones fan, but but I remember when he got canceled, and I remember everybody. Right and left, we're like, that's the right thing to do. Not to me. Cancel I Alex Jones. And don't you dare. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't have an opinion at the time. I was not an Alex Jones guy, but, but my only opinion was, if they, if they take Alex Jones off the air, they're going to take everybody off. I mean, you are not immune to it, right? So um, there was a, there was a fear when I heard that. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. You know that you. You are you're taken off a platform and you have no way to get back. There's no way to, there's no forgiveness. There's no, uh, you can't reconcile, you, you know. You disappear. You disappear. Yeah. And so I guess that's, that's a, that was scary. So some, there was a lot of celebration when he was uh, canceled. And now it just keeps going and it keeps rolling. And um, I have uh, the guy that I follow on Twitter, Zach Hommel, and he's a, uh, He's he's one of the nicest guys you you've ever want to follow. He's uh he works out. He's a he's 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 a fitness guy, uh, and he's a Christian. And he's always sharing like positive messages. And he's got a smile on his face. He's infectious. He's one of the most wonderful guys. 
he got canceled off Twitter. Canceled off Twitter because of what he says, and I, I don't know the truth behind it, was is that one of his videos had music in the background. He was working out. It was a, it was a copyright thing and, you know, or whatever. But he had, I mean, he had a lot of followers, and he's now he's building his account back up again. But I thought to myself, that's the one that really hit me hard. I was like, wow, if they can cancel Zach Hommel, I mean, how close am I to getting canceled just for, you know, the fact that I was on a nuclear submarine back in the Cold War. Well, we can't have that. He was a he was, he was wanted to commit mass murder. You know, he's a, he's a patriot who wanted to kill communists. We can't have that. Yeah, it's... you know. So so I guess you know I guess when he you know when when Zach got canceled and uh, I was like, whoa, it can happen. You know, it can happen to any anybody. And I think that's really disturbing. It's a bad trend I see in um, you know in this cancel culture. I think it's very very dangerous. But I also should, I say it's it's a sign of weak leadership mm-hmm. bottom line just weak leaders don't want to hear opposing opinions i'm just the opposite i go in a room and i say we're, guys um we're going to move this manufacturing plant to a new location tell me why i shouldn't do it i want to know like what what i am i crazy you know this is the way i see it how do you see it what you know i want to hear those opposing point of views because at the end of the day you're going to get the best idea you're going, to, you're going to go in the right direction if you listen to the other ideas in the room, right? And one of the things I say in my book is talk to the quietest person in the room. So a lot of times there's a lot of vocal debate, but there's somebody in the corner that's quiet. You want to get their opinion as well, too. But you seek out the, all those opinions. You want to hear them before you make a decision. And this idea that I, I have all the answers because I'm, I don't know, I'm Fauci or Biden or whoever, that's a little scary. You don't have all the answers, you know. It's it's it's, it's, it's a little scary. It's a scary time right now. But I think, yeah, I think sticking to your guns is is. I think it's important. Just um, your brand is what your brand is, and it needs to stand for that, whether it's small or large. You know. I've had people ask. You know, when I'm like, well, this guy invented the mRNA vaccine. This guy's the most published cardiologist in world history. They're like, well, how come you don't have on the 99% of doctors who disagree with them and say that the vaccine is safe? That's a fair question. My response is, well, one, tell them to come on the podcast. I'd love to have them on. I'll talk Mm. to anybody. But two, they're not being censored. That's it. How come you don't have on people that say the Jewish people are lizards and they did 9-11? Because you don't get censored for saying that. You can put up your own video, your own 50-hour video on why the Jews run the world. And it's like, I mean, I think you're a moron, but it's like, whatever you do, you bro. I mean, it's just, you know, so people say, how come you haven't had on Anthony Fauci? Well, one, I can't get in touch with him. Just like <laughs> I've gotten a, a, a kind no from the office of George Bush and Obama who don't want to do my podcast. But I get it. Sure. I can't get him on here. I'd love to have him on. Yeah. Because you know what the worst part is? So I guarantee if I sat here and was just allowed to leave the microphone on and shoot the shit with Fauci for an hour, I'd probably leave here going, it's just a dude. It's just a guy. Yes. But because I only have sound bites, I go, I go, fuck that guy, right? It's it's why 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 do that? Why why and so shutting down speech you don't like. And yeah, I remember when Alex Jones was was blocked and I like Alex Jones the same way that I like comedians. He's entertaining to me. I like Alex he, Jones he, the same way yeah. I love video games because they're fun. I don't take video games as reality. Well, if you play video games and you just go shoot people in the face, what are you going to do in the real world? I'm not going to shoot people in the face. It's a video <laughs> game. That's why I'm dressed up as a clown shooting people because it's a video game. That being said, 
you know, people are like, well, you know, Alex Jones was, you know, saying Sandy Hook was fake. That's a horrible thing. Sure. I've had on a survivor of a school shooting on this podcast. It's a horrible thing. Free speech is not for that which you agree with. It's for the things that boil your blood. Mm-hmm. And everyone that was like, that that's a good thing. We need him gone. Well, I was like, it's not going to stop there. And then sure enough, it was Milo. And then it was president sitting President Trump. And now it's just everyone you don't like. Bing, 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 gone. And people are just yeah. going, well, you shouldn't do Well, you shouldn't do this. Well, you shouldn't do that. And you keep kicking everyone off. And it just it's never going to stop. And... You know, when people say, well, Alex Jones should be kicked off, he was, you know, talking about Sandy Hook. Hey, man, I don't think anything is off limits of humor. I don't like suicide jokes. I used to love them. And you might wonder, why don't I anymore use your brain? But you know what? If I don't like it, what do I do? I stop following that Twitter. I don't, they're making that joke on, on YouTube. Click on a different video. Someone on Facebook makes a suicide meme. Scroll down. I don't like it. And if you can't escape at all, put your phone down. Stop. Mm. Well, well, Tommy, those weren't made at you. True. What if they were made at me? Are you coming on my property? Are you solicit? Are you doxing my information? Are you doxing the address of me and or my parents? That's illegal. And we have rules for that. You can't incite violence. You can't say go after this person regardless if it's, if it's Alex Jones or whoever, we have rules for that, right? What if, you, what if you're not drunk driving? What if you're on coding? Well, we have driving under the influence to cover everything. We have these rules that cover these things. You have to, you have to accept it all. You have to accept it all. When, so if people are making suicide jokes, hey, and you know what? And after seven plus years, now I kind of laugh at them. Because some of them are funny. And I'm showing them to my mom. But I laugh at some of them. Because I can go through the rest of my life going, Oh, I can't, we cannot talk about that. That's just too much for me. Maybe I do. And if that's the case, fine. Go about your life that way. But like we, I'm sure I've made jokes on here. I've made jokes on, I've made, you know, it's, you know, what, you know, tragedy plus time plus time equals comedy, right? Make a joke about the Titanic. No one cares. Make a joke about JFK. No one cares. Make a joke about 9-11. Well, I was only 11 years old, so it's whatever. And then it turns out one of the guys I worked out with was a firefighter that responded to Ground mm-hmm. Zero. And he never said anything to me, but I realized he saw that episode and didn't like it. Mm-hmm. But he was an adult, and then he eventually came on, and we did an episode about 9-11. And it was great, and it was horrible, and it was heart-wrenching, and it makes you tear up. But, I mean, it's... I'm sure you and I have said... I'm sure someone somewhere in the in the forever of time after this, someone is going to be listening... Okay, actually now, perfect. August 9th, 76th anniversary of the bombing of Nagasaki. And we're making jokes about, right, nuking a nation. Mm. I'm sure there's people that might come across this podcast whose grandparents were, you know, developed horrible radiation sickness if they weren't vaporized instantly. Yeah, all that stuff sucks. But man, when when you say you don't have to, no, we can, we can ban that. That's fine. Well, that's medical misinformation and we're in a pandemic. Well, man, once you start moving the goalposts of what is okay and what isn't okay, it doesn't take... I mean, it's been, what, three years since Alex Jones was banned? And that, and that was news everywhere. Now mm. people get banned every day. You know, like, this guy, gone. They're talking about an election audit? Out of here. Gun control? Yeah. Poof. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to go, Oh, 
okay, this is how it turns into, do you have any Jewish neighbors? Yeah, it's, it's, do it, you, that's it. That's do, it. Do you have any Jews on your mom's side? We're just asking yeah. for, for cultural hygiene. We're, we're sending them to a, it's a nice reservation. We're, we're, it's a government-sponsored program. We're calling it Auschwitz. And it's, hey, it's got great accomp. That's how it goes. And then you go, so when we go, how does the Holocaust ha- happen? Now you start to go, oh. Over time. I, yeah. Okay, yeah. I get it. Yeah, get it's it. it's it's really, yeah, I think it's it's not good. And I think the, um, the, the gymnastics you have to make to make sure that you fit whatever the profile is that's acceptable today, right? Um, and, and especially difficult for, I would say, for older people because we we don't know the, these new, well, you can't say this, you can't say this, you can't do this. And it's like, whoa, when did that happen? <laughs> you know, when did suddenly that I I'm, I can't? Well, and the other thing is there, there's, there's a part of it too that I think is a bit scary too is that there's many people that, you know, I, I say this, look, uh, you know, um, I, you know, uh, it came from Michael Jordan, right? He said, he said, uh, Republicans buy sneakers too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I, I, I'm, if you ever follow me on Twitter or any of my social media, I am non-political, right? Part, partly because it bores me. Uh, I, it, I really does. Um, so I'm apolitical. But the other thing is like a lot of people love my books are Democrats. A lot of people love my books are Republicans. A lot of them are independent. I don't really care, right? There are there are universal lessons in my books that I write to help you become a better leader in whatever you're doing, a nonprofit, a business, um, you know, a volunteer organization. I just want to help people become better leaders. I don't really care about your political stripes. I don't, that doesn't, that, that doesn't. Yeah, it's boring. That's not my audience. My audience is, is anyone who's, who's trying to be in a leadership role, right? Um, that being said, as I talk about leadership issues, I'm in the back of my mind thinking, oh, I've got to be careful about this. I've got to be careful about this. So you're almost self-censoring yourself. That's the end goal. As you go through, because you're trying to make sure that you don't step on one of the landmines that are out there because this is my livelihood, right? And, and uh, you know, this is how I... Um, I don't want, I, and I don't want to be canceled, right? So, so, so many people are avoiding landmines, and so they're 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 internally censoring themselves. And I think that's that's something that I think is probably more prevalent than it's even talked about. So, there's canceling, and then there's this self censoring that is actually happening right now. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like there's only one way to go with that, and it's if you give them an inch, they're going to take a hundred miles. So, to me, you kind of just have to light yourself on fire and keep going in the direction regardless. So, I mean, even with, even with you, I now will only be uploading this video to rumble, BitChute, odyssey and Spotify because we talked about the vaccine. Uh, okay. Think about that. Yeah. Can't go on YouTube. Yeah. I will be permanently suspended because I'm on thin ice with them. Yeah. I will now be permanently suspended. We had an awesome conversation about nuclear submarines, about leadership, about digging yeah. deep, about, you know, find being the best person you can be. But guess what? We mentioned that which is verboten. And, <laughs> yeah. and if we didn't talk about that, and if we steered clear of that because we didn't want to get in trouble, well, then what a shitty leadership podcast that would be. If we're yeah. like, got to be yeah. a leader. Oh, well, hold on, hold on. That's a no-no. We can't talk about that. It's a no-no. No one talks bad about the state. So who knows? Maybe this was 
maybe this was a beautiful uh, microcosm of uh, we did what we thought was right. And uh, it will go on all the other platforms and it will go on Spotify and everybody go listen there. But uh, yeah. think about that. I mean, it, it now can't go on YouTube. Yeah. Well, I don't think we expressed an opinion about Does it, but not it was matter. definitely... Does not, yeah. We talked about how yeah. it might not be the 100% best choice for 100% of everyone. That, if you steer clear from that, you're done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, it's a tightrope, that's for sure. It's insane. Yeah, it's, and I and the thing is, like I said, as, as an older person, you know, 54, I, I literally don't know um where those landmines are i'm doing my best but uh the don't steer look clear for them, but i don't look for them because yeah. if you look for them then you know where not to step and that leads to self-censorship you got to be yeah. like me got to be a moron and just go i'm gonna not incite <laughs> violence and i'm not gonna dox people's addresses but aside from that let it fly we're gonna talk about yeah. everything i don't yeah. care if someone wants to come on here and make their defense about why communism is the best system in the world god damn it i will allow it to come on here I'll be looking yeah. at them and shaking their head and going, I'm going to kill you with this flag. Yeah. But I, because I'm okay with that. I'm, a, I'm strong in my convictions and it, I'm also okay with disagreeing because censorship has no place in any debate. What do you say yeah. about what? Imagine if a president did that during a presidential debate. So and so, what do you, how do you defend yourself against XY scandal? And then they just had the Secret Service come out and take out the other guy. The incumbent was yeah. just like, well, he's gone now. Yeah, it's definitely weakness when you don't want to listen to opposing views. And, you know, if your argument is so strong, um, or whatever whatever the topic is, then you should be willing to listen to Stand people that, to uh, yeah, that, 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 that can, you know, that can debate you. And and it should be able to, the truth should come out, right? The, I mean, it's always in our history has been, let's debate and let the best ideas win out. But now it's saying we're, We've got the best ideas. We'll let you know what those are. And if you have an idea that's any different, it's um, well, we're gonna we'll we'll get rid of that. Yeah, it's not good. It's it's China. It's not good. Yeah, it's not a it's not a good thing. I I definitely feel uncomfortable right now. Not not right now, but I mean, in this era era that we're in right now is very uncomfortable. Well, all takes for evil prevails for good men to do nothing. So unfortunately have to do this and we have to talk about this stuff even though now this is going to directly impact my podcast this is going to be one less episode on youtube this is going to be one less link that's shared it's going to be one less group of subscribers who watched it but if i don't do that i mean there's a reason why we call it the dark ages when people that said i think that the earth might go around the sun and we burn them at the stake we call it the dark ages because it was backwards when doctors wore those long like bird masks and they beat you with a cane and say be gone devil and it's like well i still have the flu like it's you know it doesn't matter this person's doing calculus they're a witch burn them because science it it doesn't care and then it will seep through maybe it takes three centuries but it will everyone will go oh okay yeah we don't put a satellite up there turns out we're going around the sun who knew to me it's like well you know what i'm not going to be on the side of like well, I'm not Jewish, so what does it matter to me? It's, I just, it's just not, I can't do that. I gotta, I'm not a scientist, and I could be wrong, but you know what, when you're shutting down scientists for talking, even if the scientists end up being wrong, well, hey, that's science, and we go, huh, they were wrong. Those scientists did think the world was flat, but you don't censor it. Just let the truth come out, and if you have to censor it, imagine if your wife said, we need to talk, and you just went, shush. Yeah. 
That would go over well. Yeah, I'd go, yeah, that'd go <laughs> over well. Your head would be yeah. on a stake on the front yard, right? right yeah. Try right. censoring yeah. your, everyone listen, try censoring your wife or your girlfriend. Where does yeah. that go? And rightfully, is she upset? Well, yeah. why is it any different now? We got to go, though, because I have another guy in, in two minutes that uh, oh, I can't, wow. okay. I'm an idiot. I always, I don't know why sometimes I do more in one day. It's I get excited. I book a bunch of people, and then I'm like, why did I do that? But So we got to wrap this one up. But I could, I wish I wish I didn't have a second one because I could keep talking to you, man. You're a cool guy. So on that note, I hope to have you on again. And yeah. uh Maybe I'll learn another lesson of don't have more than one person on in one day because it inhibits the first conversation from going over. I'm an idiot. Mr. John Rennie, thank you so much, sir. And, Tommy, uh, great to be on the show and great conversation. Enjoyed it. Fuck yeah, man. I will put the – if you could email me, like, all the links to your podcast and your Twitter and stuff and so I can put those – just email yeah. me whatever, how you want it worded because I'll just copy and paste it. So just yeah, put yeah, your yeah, links we'll and that. I'll put it in there. And uh, yep. I'll email you when it's up, but – I've got to run because I've got another guy in under 60 seconds now. So I'm an idiot. Okay, very good. Thank you so much, man. God bless. Thank you for being on here. God bless America. Don't censor everybody. It's what bitches do. Stand up tall and, you know, if you're going to be wrong, be wrong, but be wrong with pride. And I don't know. Just don't censor. Don't be China. It's stupid. All right, man. I got to let you go. All right. Recording stopped.